Hello, everyone. My name is Ed the Penmeister. You're back with our newest episode of Behind the Screen. Today with me are our wonderful guests, Cameron, Amber, and Invader. Welcome back, guys. Thanks for Hi. having me. Greetings and salutations. That was very crazy. Um, I save the the out of pocket stuff for 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 sessions. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. So, speaking speaking a lot, speaking of the sessions, Cameron, I really did enjoy that one shot we did last week. This week. Thank you very it's much. A lot of fun. I appreciate that. Yep, the and rest of you will get to hear that next week. No, this is going the same week. Is it not? This is the one that's going out. Oh no. This it'll be already out it'll be out a whole week before this comes out because we have that second episode. I only posted yeah. the one episode of uh We are we have one episode behind the screen lined up. We also have one episode of Blight of RN lined up. So this will go yeah. out, and then yep. the few days later, the one shot goes out. Okay, so we could talk about spoilers for that session in this one? Not for the one shot. Okay. Because the next one is going to be the one I hopped in halfway through. But if you is going out with that, so it'll be. Sunday, that one. Tuesday, the episode of behind this, the uh, episode behind the screen. Yeah, it'll be like a whole week later. Yeah, I'm wrong. I'm gonna get that out. All right. So, why don't we just hop right into it? How do you guys handle action economy in your games? For those of us who have DM before. So, Delta Green is real world, um, and what I run is modern day. Everything happens approximately 2023-2024. Or when we started the game, it was happening in 2020. With the exception of the pandemic does not happen in my world. Uh, So... Basically, I don't have to create economy. I just use what we already have. Um, occasionally, I send them into alternate universes, but honestly, I don't pay too much attention to money when we do. Um, oh, no. Just action because... economy. Oh, action economy. You know what? <laughs> we are apparently having one of those days, everyone. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> we totally didn't wake up like an hour ago. Uh hour ago? <laughs> he tried 20 minutes. Um I'm just sick. That too. I am still recovering from a nasty cold. Uh you can probably hear it in my voice today. Um Action Economy for Delta Green works very different than other games. Um, the only time we really worry about it is during combat. And, well, 
Combat in Delta Green is simple. Highest dex goes first, lowest dex goes last, and uh, you get one action. Straightforward. Um, when it comes to action economy in games, uh, it's a very difficult question. Normally, I try to sort of follow what the system has. Um, when it comes to D and D, obviously, you've got the uh, you've got the action, the bonus action, movement. I'm not really that strict. If someone's like, I'm 10 feet away from an opponent, and they go, is it okay if I move 10 feet forward, cast a spell, and then use the rest of my movement to back away? Yeah. That sounds like a plan. Um, that's the, that's the, are you just playing complete pause? There we go. There we go. It's gone. We're now. Holy. That was fun. <laughs> Technical difficulties, yeah. everyone. This is what you don't normally see. Yeah. But is it also in there? It's left in. So. Are we good now? Yes, you are perfect, as always. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Y'all are going to make um, a out. Uh, but yeah, maybe. Um. Just so those players have an idea of what they're going to be doing in their turn when it comes to combat, that's all that's necessary, really. All right. Staying with the theme on combat for this next question, what are ways you guys tailor your combats to your players? So, again, Delta Green uh, is what I run. So, uh, the big thing is. Everybody's got guns. Or if they're guns, they have knives. Um, one of the biggest things is I have to use monsters regularly. Um, give me just one second. I'm going to tether my phone because apparently my video is being stupid. Uh, I mean, all the technical difficulties this morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, uh. Cameron, why don't you step in and take over, and I will finish yeah. my answer after. So, when it comes to tethering monsters, um, first thing I will look at is the location. What, where is the combat going to be taking place? Is it taking place in an urban environment? Is it a rural setting? If it's a rural setting, uh, well, even then it will depend where the, uh, in that major aspect um, are we in the mountains? Are we in a forest? Are we in the middle of the desert? Um, are we in the sewers? Are we in a flying city um, that has a giant super weapon ready to blow stuff up? 
Um, are we underwater? Are we in one of the elemental planes? That sort of thing. Um, so looking at those creatures that exist. And then it is a case of trying to balance uh, difficulty with players' um, capabilities. Um, I've mentioned this before. I once had a six-player game where six level ones went up against a gelatinous cube. And the gelatinous cube didn't land a single hit. Um, in another combat setting, the combat ended up taking the whole session because there were so en many enemies. Uh, that's just how it worked out. Um, also to take into consideration uh, is how cruel you feel like being. Uh, if, uh, if you're having a fairly easy encounter, that's fine. But if every single combat is underpowered, players are going to get a little bit bored. So the trick is to try and mix it up a little bit. Um, I my uh it's always it's always nice to just occasionally throw a really powerful enemy at the players or a really powerful group at the players so that they get close to tpk but don't actually get tpk'd um so the trick is to try and make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, and I am proud to say I have yet to cause a single TPK. I have caused a couple of them. Um, one of them was when I was young and did not know how to balance games. Uh, so that's a... That was a learning experience. Um, I killed the entire party in the first room with a handful of kobolds. Um, although we were playing uh, second ed at the time, so things were also done very differently. Yeah, always. Um, but in, uh, like I was saying, in Delta Green, because it's, we use a lot of guns. Um, and one of the mechanics in Delta Green is this thing called lethality, where if you use a certain weapon, basically a semi-auto or an auto, um, you, instead of rolling 1d10 or whatnot, you roll a d100, 2d10, and you add the numbers together. So if you roll 72, it does 9 damage. If you roll 18, it Again, it does not. Why am I going for nines today? Um, that type of thing. But if you roll under a certain percentage, usually either 10 or 20%. Um, so if you roll like a four, it's an automatic lethality and it doesn't matter. They die. Um, but at the same time, there's some creatures that are immune to lethality, so they would only take four damage. <laughs> I have a a harder time balancing for Delta Green than I do for um, D and D as a result because I did a one shot where the players went up against 
um, basically these clockwork androids and uh, nearly successfully killed half the party um, all over a bag of sushi. I was not in that game. Yes, you were. This was the one in Boston when we, you were rescuing Satoshi Nakamoto. Oh, I forgot about that game. <laughs> there have been a lot of them. Um, I honestly, I adjust on the fly. If it looks like I'm going to accidentally wipe the party, I will lower the HP or, you know, like double the damage they're doing or the players are doing or cut back on the damage the monsters are doing. Um, players don't know what percentile it takes to hit. So I can fudge the numbers there too and say something hit when it didn't or something didn't hit when it did uh, if I need to balance it that way. Um, basically, it's the old GM trick of uh, you roll the blank like dice. <laughs> Um, right. but, uh, usually, usually my players do okay. <coughs> oh, crap. This next question is also having to deal with combat. Was there ever a time you had a player misremember how a speller ability worked and how did you handle it? I actually have the opposite problem. Uh, we discovered last week that I have been using one of my spells wrong. Um, I have been wasting action items on something that was a bonus action. And it was Oops. my big heal, too. So, um, oh, fun. We, we do not... Yeah, for, for me to be able to use a bonus action for that uh, after I drop my attack is a big difference. I always uh, get the players to bring up the... Because we've only ever played online. We've never played with, uh, physically. I always get the players to bring up the spell. Because nine times out of ten, when they're misremembering, it is genuinely a case of misremembering. Um, and I give players the benefit of the doubt and be like, oh, no, that's not how that's worded. And they'll go, oh, okay, yeah, that's my fault. And I've yet to have a player try to do the, oh, no, I totally forgot. But in actuality they, actuality, they were hoping to um, try and sneak one past. Um, but generally, I tend to find that those ones are also the ones that try to be as much of a uh, uh, rules debater as much as possible. Not a rules lawyer, a rules debater. Um, so uh, those ones, I'm, I will be a lot more strict on and go, no, that's what the spell says. I don't care. That's what the spell says. You want to argue with me? Okay. We can argue after the session. But for now, spell says this. That's what you do. 
What about you, Invader? Have you ever misremembered a spell or had somebody on the party do that? Um, I've only minorly done it. Like, not to the extent, like, Eeyol's stories go. Like, just, like, misremembering, like, oh, it has this level of range or oh, this will actually damage someone. Yeah, minor things that, like, another player or a DM has, like, just given me, like, the, hey, uh, I don't think you'd be able to do it, like, when you were this far away, or, like, hey, uh, this will actually damage a player, and and that player is super low, so you may want to reconsider. The minor things like that, you know, that we've all had happen to us once or twice, uh... Another oh, player yeah. misremembering how a spell works, though. First-time DM with two first-time players back in the campaign that wasn't really a campaign at the start, just friends doing goofy shit before it became an actual D&D campaign. Uh, we had a thing where we didn't roll for spells or anything, we would just roll a d20 for its effectiveness. Because, again, we didn't intend for it to become a full-on thing until it became a full-on thing. Uh, And all... We did go for, like, if you get it perfect, you get double damage. And my friend had Eldritch Blast. And because of how we ran the game game at the very start of it Eldritch Blast was kind of like a Thanos snap for most enemies for a little bit with the first time DM and like you know first time players not understanding how it fully works so like that's the extent of like for me personally and seeing it happen to friends that's my extent Well, since you brought up first-time DMs and first-time players, I actually have a decent question for that. Of you, um, if someone wanted to get into D&D, what do you recommend they do first or anything else? Run. Play. <laughs> Find good friends. Uh... <laughs> Because as soon as you get, as soon as you play one session, you D and D becomes your life. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're you're trapped, basically. You you think, oh, my friend group's no longer playing. No matter so how I'm long or high it is, you take your trap forever. Yeah, like oh, mm-hmm. my friends are done playing. My D and D friends are done playing. Playing, I guess I'm done forever. Man, I miss playing D and D. Let me go on this Reddit forum and try to find someone who'd be willing to play with me. No matter how hard you try, wizards will find you. Um, Pretty much, yeah. What's the, they're doing? Uh, on a genuine note, though, I would genuinely suggest to them maybe watch something online first. Like, what? go in completely unaware of how a game mechanic goes and be like, go watch one episode 
go watch a one-shot episode. Um, go watch an episode of Dimension 20. Go watch an episode of uh, Critical Role. Um, they've done plenty of one-shots or small campaigns. Um, and then look to see if this is a sort of dynamic they're okay with, the friendly dynamic that develops from there. Also, just caution in that not every table is like that. Because yeah, some people have different things that they enjoy. Um, and just be accepting that sometimes you're going to, if you try to get into it, you might discover, I actually like this aspect more. And it might be a case of, well, most of my friends enjoy this aspect, but I actually don't. And that's perfectly fine. I know people who enjoy, yeah, I know people who enjoy the combat aspect and the dice rolling aspect of D and D. The um, the more mechanical side to it, whereas I prefer more of the um, letting the rule of cool have a say and the role play aspect. That's not to say we're not friends. We just have to acknowledge that and work together to make sure that the game is happy for the, is good for the both of us if we want to play together. So my advice is actually very different from that. Um, I recommend people don't watch one-shots, don't watch actual plays. Go in blind. Actual plays, you're going to look at it and be like, oh, everybody's an actor or everybody does voices. Everybody is like super cool and does this or that or whatever. That's not true. Um, when I GM, I don't do voices. I might do an accent from time to time, but I don't do voices. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Go to your local game store. They will have games that are run by volunteers or sometimes they will have paid gms who run games specifically for newbies for people who've never played before and that is a great way to get into the game you're gonna have a handful of people around who can answer questions and help walk you through everything and it's just a great way to experience it My answer is a bit long-winded. That's going to go into a little story, so apologies. No need to oh, apologize. No, please. So, for years... Anything to get that, I, anything to get that time longer. <laughs> <laughs> so, for years... Also, also, Amber, I don't know what you mean. You don't do impressions. You did a perfect impression of Patch one session. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'll pull one out, but it's not yeah. often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's a magic power you could only use once. <laughs> it was perfect. You couldn't tell yeah. the difference. Right? I don't know how I pulled it off. And your mic quality sounded different, too. Anyway, um, for years, I didn't want to play the game because of... Uh, because there was this one episode of a cartoon I watched as a kid. A uh, regular show. And there were, in the episode, they portrayed D&D as just like this overly complicated, math-heavy mess that didn't seem fun to me. And it's like, why, why would I want to play a game that's so heavily involved with math when I suck at math? 
I now know the math involved is basic addition and measurements. Um, but like, I was, was like, I wouldn't have fun with this game, and I don't get how others would. And until I watched something, I watched an animatic series called Fool's Gold. And I saw the kind of funniness you could have with that. How you could ultimately, how you could accidentally summon a Tarrasque to destroy a city if you're not careful. And then I started watching Reddit stories of people talking about their experiences playing D&D. And it's like, wait, so this game is just a, a fucking joint effort of fun with friends? That's all it is? And once it clicked with me that that's what it was, my interest was peaked into playing it. Which leads into my segue, I wanted to play it, but I had nobody to play it with. My recommendation is find people you mesh with. Plain and simple. That's the best advice I can give for a newbie player. If you can find someone you can mentally connect with, someone who you you can reasonably see having fun spending like an hour or two to just doing fun stuff and like working out stuff, then you you're golden. I took a big risk Apple applying for this because I'm the most socially anxious motherfucker with new people. But I'm like, like role play heavy. That does sound fun. And I was lucky I fucking mentally clicked with Zane, and then also mentally clicked with with these two also. It's hard, but put yourself out there. Try to find people you mentally click with. Also, advice advice for a first time session, Shin, when you don't know what to do. I'm gonna say this to a new player who's like going into it, because we because I had this mentality when I first played. No, the players don't hate that you're taking a little time trying to figure stuff out. No, they don't hate you. We've all had the first time jitters. They don't hate you. Stop thinking that they hate you. And if they do, they're not the right players. Exactly. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times on a first on a first session I've been like, "Oh God, they're hating me." Um, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's like they don't hate you. They're being patient with you. Character. You. And I'm screaming at this as I'm screaming to myself back in the day. They don't hate you. <laughs> it's easy to feel anxious at first, especially when you're when you're a new getting into a game that you've never done before. Um, that being said, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If you don't know how something works, or you can't figure something out, or you just don't know what your next best move is. Ask the other players. The word Somebody's got a book. Say, Somebody's got experience. The words I will say is your, your fellow players slash your DM won't see you as a burden if you ask, how the hell do I do this? They don't see you do, as a burden. They just see you as someone who's learning. And if they do see you, and if they do see you as a problem, they're not a good player. Exactly. And I, I said this like on the like the last episode that's gonna come out, I think soon. Don't be scared to leave. 
never be scared to walk away from a table if you're uncomfortable. Ever. D&D is a, gro- a group effort. If, if you're uncomfortable in the group you're in, then, then leave. And I know it's hard, and I know you feel like you're ruining the game. Let, let me tell you this. If a, if a DM is making you feel like you're going to ruin the game because you're leaving, they're a bad DM. Or it, that goes same for other players. Exactly. If other players exactly. are making you uncomfortable or trying to pressure you into staying when you're uncomfortable or trying to pressure you into playing a certain way. Um, if, it, if the problem is another player and you, it's just one person you don't want to leave the table, go to the GM. Part of the GM's job is to handle this stuff. If the GM won't handle it, walk away from the table, no matter how much you don't want to. Um, because your mental health, your safety is more important than this game. There will always be another table. There will always be another game. If you, if you feel yourself like rolling your eyes or like wanting to like punch another player because they are like making it all about them when this is like, I don't know, your moment or another person's moment in the spotlight and they just took that moment for themselves and you want to punch them, go to the DM. And tell them it's like, hey, can you can you tell this player to fuck off with that, please? I, I can't tell you how many times. Literally just going to the DM, asking them to tell the other person to fuck off with that has solved so many issues in a campaign. Yeah. I know it's hard to fucking go forward and like, you know, be honest that you're like you're getting annoyed and not having fun because of one person feeling like you are being the downer. You're not. If one player is making you you angry and not have fun, that player's the downer, not you. Yes. Also, there's a very good chance that the other players may be having the same issue, but they don't want to bring it up because they feel like they're going to be the problem. And as soon as one player comes forward and says, hey, I don't feel comfortable with this person, all of a sudden the other players will feel will be able will have the um not the courage but the willingness to also come forward and say yeah i'm having problems with this player as well and don't be afraid to talk to other players if your concern is the gm you know if you're having problems with the gm and you're comfortable talking to other players it's okay to outside of game say hey i noticed this are you seeing the same thing um yeah yeah that's the best advice i think we all give never be scared to ask for never be scared to come forward if you're having an issue um and honestly as a female at the table i have had to do this several times um gaming is definitely more inclusive now than it was when i started but there are still times when it's a boys club. Um, there are times where because I'm female, a table isn't safe for me or I don't fit in. Um, and that's okay. It happens. Uh, and honestly, early on, it was definitely hard to walk away from those tables. But it gets easier. Um, and honestly, that is every time I talk to a female who wants to get into tabletop gaming, 
that is my first piece of advice. Don't be afraid to walk away from a table if you're uncomfortable. That was heavy, first off. Really good. I am... Yeah, that's probably the best piece of advice there for a new player, definitely. All right, let's probably go something a little lighter now. Cleanse the palate a bit. <laughs> oh, this one's pretty simple. Besides the three core rule books and a set of dice, what can a player purchase that you think will help them with their games if they can afford it? Pencil and paper. Always pure... take extra notebooks, extra pencils. <laughs> extra character sheets. Always have a blank character sheet on you. Honestly, I say have a duplicate of your character sheet. Um, one of... Yeah. One of my good friends, I absolutely adore her. Her character sheet is so just like there's holes in it for erasing stuff and there's little cramped writing in the corners because there's so much stuff on the page. We have been trying to get her to replace that character sheet for over a year now. I think next time we play in person, I'm just going to steal her, steal it from her and do it myself. <laughs> I, I, I'm with Amber on that one. Always have a backup. Even if you play digitally, always have a backup of your character sheets. I want it to be known. I have the character I have, Calvin. I had a whole character sheet for him, and I was proud of that character sheet. I lost it when that campaign got canceled. And I was like, hey, Spec, do you still have his character sheet? My, my old DM. And she was like, no, I don't. I'm sorry. And I was like, oh, uh, oh my beauty. The beauty I gone. And on the flip side, uh, my high school GM kept every character sheet we ever made. Uh, so every year when we do our yearly gaming thing, because um, he, he teaches new people to play, and I always go and assist with that, uh, just so the one or two girls that decide to join the group can see that there are other girls that play. There are other women who play. Um, and it's okay. And it's fun. Uh, but he's got a stack like this thick of character sheets at this point. Uh, because we've been doing this for so long. And I know exactly where in that stack my character sheets are. And every year they end up coming out. Because there's always this one girl who's afraid to use her character properly. or She's got this thing that's similar to my character, and she doesn't realize that she can use it. Um, so what I end up doing is I'll jump in as kind of an extra NPC for a portion of the game and show them how it's done. Speaking yeah. of uh, character sheets... Just a bunch of my old characters. I always. <laughs> Most of mine are digitized now. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I ended up having to digitize them at some point, just because it happens. Uh, 
These are my first character sheets. I drew them by hand. <laughs> my first character sheet. So I'm not going to go get the box. Um, I have not shown you guys. I showed Zane. I have the original purple box from First Gen. That was my first session. My dad's campaign notes are still in that box. More importantly, my brother and I first character sheets are still in that box. Um, my first figure is sitting somewhere up here amongst a million, million tiny little figures. So <laughs> I will not show that off. Sorry, I'm now I'm just reminiscing of my old character. <laughs> like, right? As Miranda Mardekeis in the Cold Bacar. <laughs> but yeah, definitely back to the question. Pen and paper is probably one of the best things to get, bring with you for your sessions. Uh snacks. Water. Never forget your water bottle. Even if you're playing on Discord, always bring bring something to drink because fucking if you're a role play heavy session, you're gonna want to refresh your throat constantly. And this is coming from someone who decided to do a raspy voice character. Always have something to drink. Uh I recommend hot tea with honey. <laughs> and a little Never lemon. Drink a lemon dairy. In the middle of a session, if you're doing voices, that will kill your voices. I had to learn that the hard way one session. Also, if you're playing in person, extra dice. Always bring extra dice because I can guarantee there is somebody at the table who forgot their dice. Or, you know, just add to the click crack collection. Not too. But if you're that person who always has an extra set of dice people can borrow, you're going to become everybody's best friend. Just make sure to get it back afterwards. Or, you know, have dice that you don't mind losing if uh, you don't get them back. Uh, I have two dice bags. One of them is, these are my dice, nobody touches them. One of them is, if you need to borrow dice, you can use anything from that bag. If I don't get them back, I don't care. But yeah. I'm a dice dragon. Yo, speaking of dice, uh, this is probably just like my neurodivergency talking, but you ever see a pair of like really nice dice and you think, man, I want to I wanna eat those dice. I just want to just help. Yes. I pretty blue dice. Uh, there is, a matter of fact, um, there is a guy not at the cons I do that does chocolate dice. Oh, I bet they taste so good. They do. What is he? Does he have a gingerbread rolling board? Or a uh, <laughs> I don't remember. It's been a while. Because <laughs> that'd be cool where you could actually play with the chocolate dice, and since it's food on food contact, when you're done, you can eat it. It, the problem with chocolate dice is they melt. Yeah. Now, if I were to make cookie dice, that might work. I'm not sure how well the molds would hold, though. 
hard candy dice would work pretty well. They could, but then you're going to get all sticky. Yeah. Could you imagine just swallowing a D20, then going to poop it out later, you get D1, and then you just squirt blood out your butt? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I, you know what? I am certain somebody has done that. I bet you someone said they had hemorrhoids instead of admitting that. <laughs> well, they just had a lot of beetroot after, uh, after they had the D20. <laughs> It turns your poop bright red. It, it, you, you think you got you, you think you got bum cancer? Nope, you just ate a lot of boot, beetroot. Don't ask how I know you, this. As long as you don't have to go to the hospital because it got stuck somewhere. Because that's just embarrassing. And expensive. Sorry, I have a dinosaur. <laughs> Expensive in the U.S. Yes, in the U.S. In other countries, well, it depends. <laughs> it's expensive in time in other countries, depending. If I was a doctor and I had to perform surgery to pull a fucking D20 out of someone's butt, you know, I would I would have fun with it, and I would pull it out. And I would be like, if I get in that 20, your, your procedure is free and I never talk about it. If I get in that one, I'm talking about this with everyone, every other doctor I know. Oh, we all know that they're going to be talking about it with other doctors because that's technically not a breach of HIPAA, I assume. It's not, no. Because they could be. Uh, as they long be as they it. work in that department. In that department, yes. Unless it's a specialist from another part of the hospital and they're looking for guidance or if they need to follow up yeah. on treatment plans. If, if it is somebody from your medical team or somebody from that department, they can talk about it. If it is somebody from another department or somebody that has not been on your medical team, that is a violation of HIPAA. If you're uh, a minor, they can tell your guardians and then your guardians can tell everybody. <laughs> there is that. You're screwed if so. your guardian is your doctor. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, kids, uh be very careful what you tell your guardians <laughs> or what you do before you're 18. Amber, Amber, don't say okay. Don't say so yeah, kids after we're talking about shoving a dice up your ass. <laughs> Sweetheart, I can guarantee you it's going to be a 16-year-old that tries that. Oh god, I just I had mean, the last idea in my mind. Hold on. You know I'm right. It won't be no. this. D20 Alien Beats. It won't be this time. Oh, one. Cameron, I can guarantee you somebody has made those. Probably. There's no problem about it. You can cut this out if you want, but Amber, I'm, I kind of agree with you that, yeah, it'd probably be a curious 16-year-old, because I was a curious 15-year-old with a broom, and I will just leave it at that. Oh, no. I, I know people, I've heard stories. We are not going to repeat those stories. Oh. Please tell me it I, wasn't uh, a wooden one. No, it was a plastic one. Anyway, cut the part out, please. <laughs> oh, no, that's dated. <laughs> if you, if you I like to burn. I will. 
Yeah, I've heard actually, of it. please. I've heard of having a stick actually, up your ass, but that's a new one. I, I thought about it for a second. I was like, I mean, but like, I don't want to be known as Broom Boy by by your, by this fan base. <laughs> no problem, man. It's gone. <laughs> it's done with. Thank you. No problem. Bloopers. <laughs> no, not even in bloopers, man. This, that's too much. I there are, there are some things that we will uh, they will hit the cutting room floor and burst into flames. Yeah, not personal many, but like, a few. Personal shit like that. that that's not even bloopers, man. Maybe when he's eighty or something, he wants and he doesn't care anymore. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's get back on track. If you notice a slight cut at this moment, everyone, it's because we went off on a massive tangent that will not be available. Pretty much. We'll just say it involved dice. And we're completely unrelated to the question that's on. Hmm. Okay, here's one. As a player or a DM, how do you encourage your fellow players to step out of their car? Um, Not for a lot of you will notice that uh, I regularly will say, hey, what are you doing? Uh, and target a specific player, especially if I'm finding that they're being extra quiet. Um, I will also uh, do this thing where if somebody is, you know, if I can tell they want to try to do something and they're not sure if it's okay i'll either ask hey what are you thinking do you have any ideas that type of thing uh or i was going somewhere with that yeah or i'll come up with the suggestion myself the you know hey what do you think how can we do this Um, I'm Amber. Just Amber said it best. Actually, like, no joke. Best. Best. That. That's the best answer. Yeah. Just be polite and be and you know encourage people. Say like, hey, have you got an idea uh, on what to do? Um, do you want to have a if someone's not partic doesn't feel particularly comfortable with role playing, give them an easy what well, give them a fairly simple, uh, not easy, a fairly simple thing to role play. Like maybe um, as an example that I would do if they're at a tavern, maybe someone sees them and wants to have a chat with them, or um, they go shopping. Uh, they go buy stuff. Maybe it's a shopping episode, uh, shopping session, and you politely say to them, "Hey, do you want to maybe role play the purchasing of whatever it is you're buying?" Because once they get comfortable doing that, maybe they'll go, "Okay, well, I'm really comfortable with this, with this stuff. Maybe I can push myself a little bit more." The trick is just to make them feel comfortable to push to push themselves. You can't force it, as Amber pointed out. 
You just gotta make every. You just gotta make them feel comfortable. I've also noticed the people who tend to not be comfortable with role playing when you help them slightly get out of their comfort zone and realize they like role playing, they end up being the best role players by the next campaign you're in, or even the current campaign you're in. Inside every anxious being who's scared to, like, show their show their stars, their, their stars tend to burn the... tend to shine the brightest when they finally have the chance to. And, I mean, for for people who are just getting into it, if you're afraid to roleplay, don't be. You might feel silly or goofy or whatnot, but everybody else at the table either feels that way or has felt that way. And if you're somebody who's just not huge in roleplay, you know, do what I do. Instead of acting it out, say, hey, my character is doing it this way. Or... You know, she would say something along the lines of this, or, you know, she would, this is the general information she would convey. Yeah, definitely. Light nudges are probably the best way to do that. Or, as Amber said, you don't have to role play. Tell them like it is. My character does my character does that. Now, and if you're afraid to roleplay because you've watched Critical Role or something, you see everybody does these awesome voices or every that is not the no. no. That is not I, how it works. Those I've are professionals. Actually, yeah, they're professionals. A really good thing I would recommend, and like as a complete contrast to that. Uh, in terms of a professional voice actor, is L.A. by Night, which is a Vampire the Masquerade uh, game that is hosted by uh, the... Um, I forget what the... The storyteller, there we go. The storyteller for that is Jason Carl, who is one of the big weeks uh, for Vampire, and I think overall for White Wolf. Man is not a professional voice actor. Um, but he still is able to portray the characters as a storyteller in a really cool way. It's the simple... He doesn't do voices. He simply changes the cadence of his voice. If he's playing a character who needs to talk quickly he will talk quickly if he's talking of a character that's planning some as a character who's trying to plan something maybe he'll slow down or be a bit more uh, monotone in his voice if he's playing a character that's designed to be big and a potential threat in the future um the voice gets loud and um, they talk in a very condescending way to the other players. You don't have to do a voice. Um, as someone who has done theater training, we get taught that accents are the last thing to focus on. If you, if you 
focus only on the accent. You may have the perfect accent, but you are going to be a terrible performer. <laughs> on the flip side, somebody like me, um, I do accents super easy. I've, I drop into accents, out of accents, especially when I'm talking to somebody who has a different accent from me. And I don't even realize I'm doing it half the time. Um, but changing the tone of my voice, changing the pitch of my voice, that's not something I'm capable of doing anymore. Um, so I don't often. Occasionally you'll hear me like do something super high pitched, make something childish or whatnot, but it's not something I can maintain for long. Yeah, if you ever do want to get into doing voices, really, it doesn't matter if it sounds silly. It really doesn't. All about having fun and ignore people when the way you. The most important part is always that you're having fun. Now, this question is for all of you. Was there ever a time, as a player or a DM, where your party solved an encounter or puzzle with a solution so out of the box that it sticks you with this to this day? I've I've got a few of those stories. Um, I had it gone off on a recon mission with. A friend of mine. Uh, at the time, he was playing a half orc. Uh, probably a warrior or something along those lines. Um, and I was playing Halfling Bard. We stumbled into this camp. It was just the two of us, and we were outnumbered. So he picks me up like a football, tucks me under his arm runs across the camp and tosses me up in a tree. It worked. They couldn't hit me and I could shoot at them when I wasn't doing other stuff. Um, there will always be the, be the blue tit mafia. Um, I I don't think anything my players have ever done will ever beat the Blue Tits Mafia. Um, I I'm genuinely trying to think if there've been other times where players have beaten. an opponent in a way that normally wouldn't be that has made me go uh okay um but all I can think of is a blue tip mafia <laughs> <laughs> well really stuck to you if someone wants to draw a blue tit wearing a fedora please I will. And we are talking the birds. Yes. 
about you, Innovator? I I'm trying to think of another one because all I can think about is one I've told before, and that's the uh, fucking a crack into a void combat story. Oh, anything. That 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 story is going to be on the new episode. Okay. I think I told that story before you joined in on the last episode behind the screen. I, I think so too. I haven't started editing that one. Um, ah, that you will hear good. it soon then. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I, I got a, I got a simple one then. Uh, uh, first combat encounter I ever had. I rolled to seduce a bugbear, and I made out with a bugbear, and then a player stabbed it and killed it. Make love and war. Exactly. I mean, if it I works. Like, I like playing characters who fuck, who, who have high, like, charisma, because I like seducing. Not because I want to live out the fantasy of being a fuck machine, because I like, I like finding ways to distract things by getting things horny. <laughs> Not my choice, but, you know. Never works for you, Bukuru. I'm just saying, if I gotta be a whore to win combat, let me, I guess I'll be a whore. Moving on. Alright. What are your favorite things about in-person D&D and online D&D? And which do you prefer? I think for me, it depends on the group. Um, if I'm playing with old friends or people that I know really well, in person is always fun. Because there's, there's a lot of joking that goes on behind the scenes and a lot of silly stuff. And there was this, there was this one really awesome scene uh, about a year ago in my group um and it was the first time my group had gotten together in person in several years because covid um and just we were all hanging out in the room and it was this very emotional scene this very high strung conversation between one of the npcs and one of the players and it was also a pivotal moment for the game. Decisions were being made that were like, is this player staying in the game? Is this thing happening? Is this sort of... Uh... And being able to see that play out in person was phenomenal. Although they had the rest of the room in tears. <laughs> and then I actually, I have video proof. I saw this starts play out and I'm like, no, we need to we need to be able to save this for posterity. Um and it's not really something you can do online because there's actions that happen there we're up and moving around and you know, it's really awesome. On the flip side, when I'm playing with a group I don't know terribly well or when I'm running groups for newbies, online is easier. One, because I have a lot more resources at my fingertips. Uh, two, because my camera's off, I don't feel like I have to put on a show. 
you know, whereas with my friends, I don't, I never feel like that. They're my friends. They, they know where my comfort zones are. Um, but with people I don't know, you know, I can do the vocal stuff, but I don't have to like sit here and look pretty and do certain actions, act a certain way, hold myself a certain way. Um, maybe it's just a girl thing, uh, being raised to always be that way, but you know, I feel like I can relax a little bit behind the computer. Somebody else? Anybody? I've, um, I mean, I've never, I will be honest, I have never actually done a physical uh, D&D game before. Um, the closest I ever got was this session zero, and then that fell through. Um, so uh, I've only ever had experience with the online, but I would uh, I would say that it doesn't matter if it's online or if it's uh, in person. The important thing is, do you like the people you're playing with? Because at the end of the day, you're willing to put up with him for at minimum three hours a day. And if you're not willing to do that with those people, that doesn't sound like fun to me. No. I love hanging out with you people. And I don't I don't mind the fact that we're scattered all over the world. I'm having fun with you guys and at the end of the day that's what's important to me. One of these days in a year and a year farm, you three might all get on so <laughs> who knows, right? Uh, I, I've got a plan. I've got a plan. You've got a plan. <laughs> what about you, Invader? I've never played in person. Um, so I feel like um, I'm not the one to make a judgment. However, I can say that if I were to do, it'd probably be like in, I can imagine in person for me, I'm saying that it says like a what if thing. I can imagine Jin doing it in person. The aspect I would like about that the most would probably be being able to like just be around people, I guess, people that I trust and love. Um, but, like, on the flip side, much like Amber, Burr, I don't have to have my camera on playing, so that's, like, the biggest plus for me, doing it online. I'm going to be completely honest. I actually prefer in-person D&D. Don't get me wrong, I love online D&D, but for me, in person, the group of or you have the back side of a wrapping paper with the grids and shit, you draw it all out, and imagine everything, it can be a lot of fun. And It definitely can be. It's the way I learned it. 
way I did it for years. I actually did not do online D and message for y'all. That was my first time playing online D and D. Honestly, I couldn't tell. All right. Speaking of a. Uh, all right. For newer D&D. I mean, not for newer D&D, sorry. For a newer Dungeon Master, it's their first game. How many players do you think they should have for their first campaign or for the first one shot? Three. Three, Three to four? Full. Always have at least one experienced player. Don't go too big on your first game. And don't be afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. Because you're gonna. Nobody's perfect. We're all human. And we suck as a species. It is a rare game that I don't get called out because I contradict myself. People, let's be honest, people have been playing since the very beginning still make mistakes. It's bound to happen. Yep. Yeah. And it's okay. I just realized that was my last question. Do any of y'all have any questions? Um, I know we uh, have questions. So when you're playing in person, uh, I guess this is a question for Zane since the other two haven't. <laughs> what are your favorite figures to use? Figures? Mm -hmm. Minifigs. For character, creatures, NPCs? Any of um, it. Any of it? Yeah. Well, when I started playing D&D, I was in high school. We would play in, or go to the card shop down the road. But in our library, we had, some of us could use the 3D printer that was there back when 3D printers were. So we get to 3D print our minis and paint them. And it probably costs a dollar to use the spool to make it. And that was probably my favorite thing to use for my character. But for uh, monsters and stuff, we have these little uh, little marbles that we use for like little minions. And every once in a while, a friend would have the mini for a big boss or something. That was all. We, that's usually how we did it. Nice. Nice. Let me see if I can grab one of mine. I know I've got a million here somewhere. I sadly lost There's my minis to Hurricane Harden. So I have a very dear friend of mine who does resin and 3D print figures. They are not really meant for D&D, but like I've got all sorts of little animals and whatnot that we use. They make great monsters, especially the dinosaurs. <laughs> you ever need a bear? <laughs> 
I, I've got one of those around here somewhere. About the same size, too. Um. Invader, do you have any questions, Chance? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Okay, I actually have one. If, uh, as a player, would you prefer to start a new campaign in an urban setting or a rural setting? Good question. It depends on the uh, game I'm playing. It really depends on the game I'm playing. Um, because Delta Green, definitely rural. Those games are a lot more fun. Uh, Urban's always interesting too, but rural, I feel like you get more out of it. Uh, and you don't feel so overwhelmed because there's not like 10 million things you could possibly be doing or checking. Um... For Dungeons and Dragons, I love the urban settings because there's so much going on. You know, you've got the uh, bazaar, you've got the taverns, you've got anything and everything at your fingertips. For me, it it also depends. But I'm gonna. Contradict Amber here for a sec. I actually prefer a rule set when starting a DM campaign. Especially if you're starting lower level. Because you don't feel as overwhelmed to make the decision. And lower level, you're in a rule setting. There's not a lot that's going to really be dangerous for your character. But if I was playing Cyberpunk Go Red, definitely an urban setting. Because role settings for that are really hard to run. It's just a lot easier to get into the flow of things if you're in an urban setting for that game. Yeah. What about you, Invader? I'd probably stay rural for the same reasons as Amber, personally. Again, I've only ever done four and five in campaigns, including this one. So I have very baseline takes in some aspects. Yeah. Okay, I have a question. After you answer your own question, Cameron, because I could see you had an answer. Oh, no, I was thinking of another question at the same time. Um... But I would say that um, a rural setting, whether it's like a small little village or even just traveling along the road in fantasy settings or even, indeed, in, um, something like Delta Green, one of my all-time favorite settings was a uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, sessions I ran was set in a rural area. Um, uh, by a smokestack town, a single chimney smokestack town. 
But yeah, obviously it depends on the system you're playing as well. It's a bit difficult to consider how Cyberpunk would play in the middle of, I don't know, bumfuck nowhere, uh, USA, versus a major metropolitan area. Being attacked by nomads and raiders. That's how that works. That's what you get for being in Wyoming. <laughs> Can't have shit in Ohio. Alright, you had a All question, right. Invader? Alright, so so we've here we've here on Behind the Screen have talked about like funniest moments and moments we've held with pride, like moments where a roll of the dice made us really clutch up a victory, but like we're all role play based players. We like to role play. So what is the most emotional moment you've ever had in D and D? Either by a by you, your character, or another character? Like a moment where you were after the session, everyone in the party was like Oh, fuck. So, Ski actually did this to me. Um, We were wrapping up a chapter of our game, getting ready for the new one. And basically, we were staging a coup. We had cleared out the city of innocence. Somehow, we don't... I don't know how we pulled that off without tipping anybody off. Um... And one of the things I had to do is the area we were in was primarily undead. Um, but there were a couple of hags that had been working for us. Twin sisters. One of them had been murdered by the people we were staging the coup on. The other one, well, I went to get her out of town. And she refused to leave because she wanted revenge. So instead of leaving my character had this very emotional conversation with her of you know she's avenge my sister avenge me get even you know protect our people and then she turns around she's got this potion brain she's like there's one final ingredient and then you're going to take this potion you'll know when to use it and she fucking leaned over the cauldron and uh you can guess what the final ingredient was my character was that was crazy uh and then 20 minutes later my character is dealing with somebody who had defected from the council uh and had been basically feeding us information and we didn't realize how sick he was And he's like, I'm dying. You need to go. And me being me, the type of character as I play, Cameron can attest to this, refused to leave him. She's like, you've only got a matter of minutes. I am not leaving you here to die alone. Uh, I spent most of that session bawling my eyes out. Um, I think for me, one of the most emotional things I did, um, I had, 
a Call of Cthulhu game. I might have mentioned this in the previous behind the screen, um, where a player, not for any fault of my own, not for any fault of them, not for any fault of me, not for any fault of anyone, they just couldn't uh, commit anymore to the game, which is perfectly fine. Um, Things change, life changes. Yeah. So they said, hey, do you mind if I bow out? And I said, sure, no problem. Um, so we had their character. Their character had gone to Egypt. Um, and uh, the character got attacked on a riverboat heading down the Nile. Uh, when they but they got airlifted back to Cairo to be taken back to the States. And that was their character disappearing. The character, sure enough, disappeared for a while. Um, we never saw the character again, but I said to them, you know, you've got all your assets and whatnot. What do you want to do with them? And they said, well, I want to give them to the other players so that they can use them. I said, that's no trouble. Why don't we do this? So um, one of the other players was playing the uh, disappeared character's niece. So uh, what happened was um, there was a special clause put into uh, the missing character's will that if they went uh, missing, uh, they were to be almost effectively immediately declared dead or the equivalent, and all their assets were to go to the niece. So lawyer knocks on the door. Um, the niece was staying, uh, was living in an apartment above a cafe of another player, another player owned. So lawyer comes in and says, hello, I represent your uncle who's gone missing. Um, we have something uh, to show you. Would you mind popping by the offices? They say, sure, no problem. They head to the office, everyone gathers. And what we'd done was we'd recorded a little audio segment for the missing character to say as my final our will and testament, all my assets go to uh, my niece. And uh, the players, all of them started crying because um, this very somber event where, you know, we were acknowledging that the character was no longer in the game, which was fine in the sense of we're not going to shame the player for stepping out but uh we actually had a very nice emotional moment where everyone went oh wow that's a really nice way to send off a character um they actually pinged the uh player uh and they joined to just listen in on the last few on the last hour of that uh, session. I uh, think for me, the most of the moment I've had 
this was about a year and a half into the and it was a Warhammer 40k and we were being attacked at our base by an overwhelming force and we fought back for as long as we could and they just reached a point where I feel like my character would have been I gotta buy them time so I essentially convinced the rest of to run while I make sure they weren't following and after they ran off it was about 30 minutes of me fighting against them and bringing the whole base it got to the point where they were all inside i was near death and they had supposedly captured me and when they went to start interrogating me about where they were saying something along the lines of can you tell us where they went we will offer you a clean death and essentially i just spit in the guy's face and said dead men already and blew the base i think that was the most emotional moment for that campaign because after that year and a half, we actually were still on our original characters. It hit everybody hard. I I actually have a second one. Um, and this one is a bit of a spoiler for anyone who listens to the other podcast I was on. Sorry, honey, I have to take this. Um, we retired my first character after the third scenario because well she ran out of sanity um and uh sorry i actually have the speech right here that she gave but um she's I can read this if you guys want me to. Um, entirely up to you. Go for it. Alright. So. Character's name was Roizen. Um, and her handler at the time was Sedeger. And one of her cellmates, which is teammates, uh, was named Ryan. So. Roizen sat in a room at Camp Peary talking to her best friend, Daniel. Logically, she knew that he wasn't really there. He couldn't be. He'd been dead for years. She still remembered watching his eyes go strangely calm as he was brutally gunned down in the dirty scrubland of the Syrian DMZ. But here he was in a room, talking to Roizen as if nothing had changed in the four years since she'd carried his lifeless body out of harm's way to be buried in his family plot. The talk was productive. Daniel convinced her, in his roundabout way, that it was 
time to return home. A uh, quick call to Snedeker, and Royzen handed over the old laptop after assuring the agent that she would keep in touch. With a hug, she wished him well, watching the shimmering black shadow of her brother encouragingly nod from behind the agent's shoulder. She soon made another call to Ryan, but couldn't bring herself to let the phone ring more than once. Instead, she sent him an encrypted message via the old channels, off to the villa for a long spell. Fond regards and many happy returns, being seen here. Her bags already packed, complex arrangements made, and all the right palms greased to get her out of the States with little fuss. Waiting for the Air Force lift to take off, Roizen held tightly, desperately, onto the small thumb drive containing an image of the computer, as well as a collection of photographs from her work with RSL. There was only one last call to make. The plane's engine began to spin up when the call finally connected, and she heard a familiar voice on the other end of the line. Her voice almost choking. She eventually answered, Abba, tell everyone I'm coming home. I'll be in Jerusalem tonight. See you soon. Several pairs of ghostly hands rested on her shoulders reassuringly as the plane lifted off into the night. It was pretty heavy. Um, it, it took us about a week and a half to write that. Uh, we went back and forth for a bit. But uh, she was seeing ghosts by that point, so it wasn't safe for her to be out in the field. However, rumor has it she will be making a guest appearance on Sorry Honey at some point in the future. Maybe. I have not recorded anything for them. I think we have time for one more question. If anyone has one? Can I, can I uh, give, uh, can I give my most emotional one? Oh, shit. I was thinking I'm about mine. Because I was yes, thinking about please. mine I'm during that. Okay. So there have been a few. But I think to me, the one I typically go to the most was during my second ever campaign. I was playing a a human-born tiefling. A human-variant tiefling. D don't ask. Um, not the weirdest thing I've heard. By a long shot. I, I know it's not. Um, and the the whole campaign like each of us had a, like our own moments where it's like each of the characters got face to face with their own demons and we all fought them together because like there was a twist in the campaign that every character every player character was related by the same father um so we got to mine and here's laxian being face to face and this was a boss battle with his abusive mother. Now, the party knew just how bad her mom was. 
the characters, and the players. So, Laxian looks to each of them and goes, He's mine. And all the other players, all the players, and players all said in unison in character, Sure, agreed. And so here's Laxian, charging at his eight-foot-tall mother, at his current stature of 5'3", and just fucking wailing on her. Her. He's going, like, ballistic. More so than I've ever gone... More so than any other character I've ever played. And you have the party fending off, like, some of the enemies she's summoning. And also giving him bark inspirations and, like, power boosts to make it even more satisfying. I get to the final hit. And instead of, like, stabbing her or anything, I have him take off his gloves and strangle her. I strangle her and say he watches the life drain from her eyes, filled with rage and the blood covering him. She then dies, and he falls to his knees, and he just starts laughing. Laughing and crying, laughing and crying. And I say this, after all the pain she caused me, I thought it'd be most satisfying. <laughs> and at the end of the day, I still feel hollow after it. <laughs> ah, ah, of course! I couldn't even have a satisfying kill for her as well. Because, little context I forgot to mention, she wasn't herself. She wasn't coherent. She was a beast at that point, like in a beast form. So he couldn't even get the satisfaction of killing her as her. Ouch. So he was pissed, sad, filled with sorrow. And just the other uh, one of the players, her name was Rava, put her hand on her shoulder and like and just said and just, just hugged him and just let him cry. That, to me, will always ring in my memory. Because it was just such a beautiful way. Way to end, like, a heavy storyline. Because she was prevalent throughout the whole campaign up to that point. Like, she wasn't the BBEG. But there was a moment I remember where it's like... She appeared with a hallucination of, of his dead child in her, in her hand. Just to mock him. So yeah, she was looming throughout the whole campaign up to that point. So it was still a satisfying kill, but that that moment I'll always remember. I... So, one more question. 
<laughs> let's let's take this back to a little more lighthearted. What is one thing? What is something that mm, you always put on your characters just because? Uh, in Delta Green, all of my characters carry stakes and holy water, wooden stakes. Um, I don't really have a thing that I. I mean, I'll tell you. I can say this now. Uh, Lyle was no, not meant to be anywhere near as thirsty as she uh, is currently. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh she was original originally the plan was for her she to She was be, not going to be a typical bard. <laughs> yeah. And then episode and then um and then the bandit camp happened. And uh I was <laughs> like, if I'm gonna do this, uh I'm going to make her thirsty, but also a thirsty Dom. God, that moment still goes so hard, by the way, Cameron. Can I just say, I I still think about that good toy moment. I think for me, the one thing I... Well, I didn't do it for the one shot the one shot, but I usually have a character missing a finger in some way, shape, or form only because I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's games. And the game, the one shot, I always so think the it's having easy. a hand like this is just perfect. Yeah. And yeah. it's always a ridiculous reason for me missing. Like, one time, the character when the players asked why he's missing a finger, I was doing the uh, I have all my fingers trick and uh, missed. The, the um, next one should have had it chewed off by chirp. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, go ahead, you Oh, no, you were still going. I'm sorry. Alright. And for the first character I ever made that had the missing finger... I didn't take into account why he had a finger, so my DM asked me, so why is your character missing that finger? Uh, it got bit off by um, uh, a halfling that was imbued with a dark magical artifact like the ring I was wearing. <laughs> you, you golemed your finger. Yes. See, if Dumbledore had just cut his finger off when he put the damn ring on? <laughs> no. Um, it, was a, uh, it was a halfling that was being controlled by a dark magical artifact that liked the ring I was wearing, so in response, it bit my finger off to take the ring. <laughs> I didn't even know the golem. I, damn it. I he just wanted the ring. The yeah, he just wanted the ring. And so it became my character's backstory became... He is hunting for that motherfucker because that was his family's ring. <laughs> I once created an NPC 
uh, based off of a joke that I heard. Uh, the character was called George the Fingers. And um, his one hand he had, so he had all on his uh, non-dominant hand, he still had all his fingers. But on his dominant hand, he was missing his ring finger and his pinky. And uh, they were, uh, when he got asked by the players, you know, why are you called George the Fingers? He goes, well, this hand's fine. I mean, this hand's for pulling, this finger's for pulling the trigger, and this one's for flipping you off. What about you, Invader? Um, every character I've ever made, I've always, like, I give them a piece that they always wear that's, like, integral to, like, their story. Like, Fabio had an earring that his sister gave him as a birthday gift. Laxian had a heart-shaped amulet that had a picture of his his dead wife and allegedly dead child. Uh, Calvin had a magnetic hand that he worked on with his wife. Um, did I get something to patch? You made him made a bind <laughs> I'm sure we will find out what Patch has as we go. Um, um, well, there's the hat. I, I'd say the hat's important, but I also you gave something like that to me. Yeah, the hat of holding. I, I I think that would work. I'll have to think of Definitely how to do it. But You're like, he does wear it while he takes a bath. He does wear it while he takes a bath. Oh my god, that'd be so good. But, like, he wears it while he takes a bath, so it's like, he clearly has importance to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even Meowdy has something important that she wears. Despite me not coming... It's been while I've been wear, riding her back, so I even thought of, like, her hat's important. Yeah, I've I've got one character like that, um, only it's not something she wears. Uh, as as key things happen throughout her story, she adds tattoos. Um, and she's got her dead partner's name and the date tattooed over her heart. Uh, and she's got a full sleeve of flowers on one side. And each of the flowers has a meaning. And, like, she's got her kids' names and birth dates and whatnot. And, uh, yeah. I need to find out why my Delta Green character is missing his ring. There are plenty of reasons that could be happening. I know, but it's always a ridiculous. It's never like, oh, it's a serious reason. Lost it in an accident. It's always something. You got chewed off by a rabbit book. I got a little too frisky with with a mimic, and it got my finger. Yeah. Well, that's all for this today's on episode. Um, yeah, on that note, um, and on like, that massive bombshell. <laughs> that's all for this episode of Behind the Screen. I'd like to thank our lovely guests for joining us today. Thank you all very much. 
And as always, this is the Penmeister signing off. Cheerio.